I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the hive for season five of The Connor and Smith Show. All right. Well, um, thank you for bearing with us through the transition from season six back to season five. I know it's been a slow pickup. Matt, why are we so busy? Right now? Yeah. Well, we are currently in rehearsal for A Christmas Angel, and we are, I just got home from that. I'm actually working on a sound cue right now. Listen to this. That's what I'm working on. And you used to find me every year. The light I've shared with you is true. Now keep the light each year, won't you? Cute. Um, so that plus the princess and the goblin. Yep, it closes Sunday. There's a live streaming on this Saturday if you want to watch it from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, we've been busy little bees ever since Ichabod closed. Yep, I had a meeting today about a possible new um, collaboration. We'll keep you posted on that. Yeah, okay. Um, so we uh, did these two sessions with... Dustin Moat and Ryan Dean Halbrook where they interviewed us. We aired mine already. Matt's was supposed to go first but we didn't have time to edit it and I've been with a little more time on my hands than Matt so I threw mine out there. We're going to get to Matt's now. So this is all about you. Matthew. Yes! Light the cameras. Put on the makeup. Is that it? No, it's Roll time. Roll the rug out. I'm thinking, it's time to put on makeup. It's time to We're mashing up. That, that would be a great mashup. It's today and the Muppet theme. <laughs> At any rate, um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we're going to keep trying to book people to be our guests. Haha. <laughs> And uh, it's difficult as we get to the holidays, but we have set up some interviews with some more folks. We have another one in the bag, so we're going to be bringing more to you. If you have not heard, we do have a Patreon that we have launched uh, during Season 5. And we have many SU friends who have joined it to follow us for exclusive content, behind-the-scenes videos, um, a newsletter, magnets, all kinds of fun stuff. You can find the link to that in the description of this podcast. We appreciate all of our supporters on Patreon. Thank you so much. And anyone else who wants to join us, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hello, Matt Connor. Oh, hey. Can everybody hear everybody okay? This is Ryan Halbrook, Dustin Hello. there. Can you hear us? Uh, you. Can you hear okay. me Okay. Can you hear you? Great. You're not too hot. <laughs> Perfect way to start this off. Thank you. <laughs> this episode is called You're Not Too Hot. <laughs> too hot? Not too hot. Definitely not too hot. Great. Great to hear it. Uh, so, yeah, so this is Ryan Dean Halbrook with Dustin Moat, and we're turning the tables on Matt Connor for his podcast, the Connor and Smith podcast, to find out uh, his uh, journey through SU and all of that up until uh, uh, Stephen and him met or turned into Connor and Smith. And uh, Dustin is joining me here to uh, help me with that. Dustin, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you both doing? I'm great, Matthew. Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, into into the summer, and I'm 
finishing up some camp and uh, went to the pool today. And when you go to the pool or, or do you just kind of like wade? Well, you know, I used to be a sun worshiper. We're talking about when I was on the farm, my father's auction was a chicken coop made into an auction um, house. And I would go onto the top of the aluminum roof with Crisco and lather up my body. And I would get very, very brown. And I, I, there's something about the sun I love. So I went out to the pool today. And when my neighbor said, hey, get in. I said, no, Lori, I, literally, I'm just here to tan. <laughs> um, but there's something there's something about tanning for me that feels kind of like I'm in touch with something bigger and and more powerful than me. I really do feel this ancient like I mean I, I don't just lay there and like you know listen to Sia or Gaga. I really do enjoy the sun. Do you have one of those reflective mirrors that you know put under your your neck to uh, to get the bottom side of your chin. No, I don't have one of those, but um, as my father just had skin cancer surgery, I do wonder if I'm really making the right choices. <laughs> but I will tell you, Dustin, every yeah. year, this is a secret to most people who maybe don't know me because I'm a very, very secretive person. Every year I would go to the beach as a uh, high school student and at the beach, I would write the next year's church Christmas pageant and Easter pageant. And I would put on both those plays every year in church and they were written at the beach, almost like I was already knowing that I was being inspired by the sun god, Ra. Yes. Was it Ra? Yeah, sure. Yeah, or the sun. Or the Sun King, uh, what's his face from Versailles? I don't know that one. Uh, Louis. Louis the Fourteenth. Yeah, Louis ah, the Fourteenth right. was, was the Sun God. You know, I do. I do have a necklace that actually is made from some. I'm going to get arrested now here, but that's fine. Maybe we can make this podcast really go viral. Um, I do have a, a. I do have rocks from Versailles made into a necklace. Oh really? Is you, that interesting? You, uh... You, you scooped up a couple when you were at Versailles, and now you have a necklace that you go around flaunting? No. Do you want to hear a story? Sure. So years ago, we've gone from, what, sun tanning to, anyway, years ago, my best friend, Ryan Dean Halbrook, was, do you remember this, Ryan? I do. He was going on a trip to Germany, I believe, or maybe just Europe in general, and he said, you want anything back? And I'm sure he didn't mean it, but he was like, you want me to bring, bring anything back? And I thought to myself. There's nothing you can buy in Germany that I cannot buy in Ikea. No, don't. <laughs> no. The Swedish, right? They're Swedish, aren't they? Well, you know, I, it's, it's all anything that ends in ish. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> so finally I said to Rye, I said, um, hey, it, bring me back a rock. Because, you know, in Jewish cultures... When you visit a grave, you, you lay a stone on the gravesite. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I started to really, really be fascinated in that, that idea of having something kind of material from the earth. And so Ryan brought me back something from uh, Germany, and it happened to be something that uh, dealt with sort of a tour of Sachsenhausen, the concentration camp. And when he brought it back, it was made into a, a necklace for me 
and I wanted it made into a necklace so it became like a memorial, something very honored. And yeah. that began a huge history of friends sending me rocks from all over the world. Oh, is that your thing? People and, uh, giving you rocks from, from when they travel? You know, like some people get little turtles or, you know, little uh, ducks when uh, that their friends know, oh, they like little ducks. So they get ducks. Are you the rocks? Is that what, is that what I've got? I've got you? the Grand Canyon. I've got the Great Wall of China. I've got the Berlin mm -hmm. Wall. I've got Iceland. I've got um, the Sachsenhausen. Um, I've, Rome, got I've, got, I've got the Colosseum. I've got Versailles. I've got um, Venice, the the uh, canals of Venice, a little shell from Venice. Anyways, <laughs> it's not about the necklaces, but my mother did say to me, um, Dustin, she said, who are you going to give those necklaces to? Yeah. Almost like that was my um, dowry. <laughs> right. Do you display the rocks? How do you how do you uh, put them out for uh, for the Connor Museum? You know, I have a box for my uh, stones that were made by one person um, that gave me the Versailles. I also have Mount Sinai from the Bible where the Ten, the ten uh, Commandments were given. Yeah. Wow. And the two rocks look like the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Just naturally? Naturally. Really? Yeah. That's ah. how it's found. Interesting. Like mini miniature ones, like little tiny Ten Commandments. Yeah, it's like the size of like a tic tac. Well, what, we, what we don't know Box. is actually was written on very tiny tablets. They like to make it sound like they were bigger, but it was just very tiny. You had to have a like something to like actually read it because you know it was so small. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so is is that something that you was just me doing that, or like is there something from your childhood that like kind of you know, represents that kind of same thing. No, it, it kind of goes into a world that people don't really know about unless you're Ryan Dean or Nancy or, or someone who's been here to the house and knows me. I became fascinated with religion. And I became mm. fascinated with not religion, but people who believe things and why. So I have a collection of rosaries and I'm not Catholic. I have uh, some Buddha things in my house. Um, I have, uh, you know, books on the uh, Tao and yeah. Taoism. And um, I, I read the Satanic Bible. And um, anyway, so the rocks are kind of an extension of all things precious and also the search behind why those things are precious. So let's go back to that. So you grew up in Winchester, you mentioned the the farm. Um, and before yeah. we get to that, I wanted to ask it, you, go ahead. Was it Stephen City or was it Winchester? It was Stephen City, but you know, like anything, I don't live in Washington, D.C., but if I travel, I would say, I'm from Washington, D.C. Yeah, when, gotcha. uh, Stephen City was two exits south uh, from Winchester. And but, um, you, but you were born in Winchester. I was born in Winchester, in Winchester Hospital, Hospital with a, with a twin brother named Mark Andrew. So what was it like on the farm? Did you get up at you know with, with the crowing of the rooster? Were you out there you know working the fields before the sun rose up? Yes, we did do things like that. Now to be to be. Um, to be clear, Ryan's been to my house, so he kind of knows what this is. This is not like a, a farm built to sell things for mass production. It was a farm like with maybe 
20, 25, maybe 30 max of cattle where butchering would, would happen to, you know, have meat for the summer and winter. We have, would have meat in the freezer. We never had pigs. There were chickens. Uh, there were um, some horses. Um, we did have milk cows, um, but it was uh, it was a working farm for the family. It wasn't really. And of course, there was a huge there was a huge garden, sometimes two gardens, and that really sucked. Of course, we made our own hay to feed the livestock. Um, so it was really sort of like a self sufficient farm only built to kind of sustain itself we never really we didn't like sell our we didn't like make butter and sell butter now we did get butter sometimes and cheese from the livermores who lived just up the road because they did stuff like that but whatever we did was just kind of for the the sunday I'm dinner picturing a six-year-old matt connor with a rake with hay like making up a song for the day well me and my brothers did have a band called crazy horses at what age? Uh, we were probably between yeah. the ages of like six and maybe nine. <laughs> and we would get on top of like five to 12 stacked bed springs from old beds that my father was trying to sell at the auction. That was our stage. And this is how the lyrics went. This is a true story. Crazy horses. Dung -dung 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 Crazy horses. Dung -dung 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 and we just did that over and over. <laughs> I would have bought that. I think we had, I think we had like, um, I think we had like broomsticks and shit, like to act like we were playing guitars, but that's a true story. So if anybody comes after me with legalities, that's a true story. <laughs> um, but I do remember um, leaving the farm to play football in the evenings with my brothers and I was the only one in dress shoes. <laughs> Do you think you were misunderstood? And there's the a picture of me, there's a picture of me uh, as a youngster, like a, a youngster. We all took a, um, a photograph on our front porch and literally I'm wearing a belt and dress shoes with like, I mean, I, all the other brothers are like in their underwear and like cut off shorts. And I'm like sort of dressed up. It's kind of cute. <laughs> you were already in costume. Yeah, but you know what? Growing up on the farm is kind of how I live now. And I'm not going to say that I don't leave my doors locked or unlocked. But like it was a very open house. Like in the middle of the night at like 930, which of course was sort of late-ish when, you know, dinner was done. My Uncle Dickie might walk in. And he'd be like, what's going on? Mom said, oh, you want some pie or coffee or whatever? And it was like. Never ending. I live on a road of uh, between 13, I can't remember the, the number now, between 13 and 18 houses of relatives lived on my road. Right. Wow. And so you would constantly see them. They would just stop by whenever you could go over there. Everybody, it was an open street policy, it sounds like. Yeah. And people just like would visit one another and drive to the next person. I mean, sometimes we would get in the car and go visit three different families for no reason whatsoever. And no one would even think anything different. I, yeah, the, those times, they're not around that much anymore. So it, it's really awesome to hear that you, you, know, you got to be able to have that. I think that's the reason me and Steve uh, kind of have that same mentality in our home 
we just always plan for whatever, you know, it's just like an open house policy. This is not our home, but our family's home and our friends are our family. Now, I know this uh, because I know you, but you didn't really grow up with a lot of pop culture per se, right? Uh, so like what brought you into like the arts other than church? Was there like a person that influenced you at a very young age that made you even think that this is what you wanted to do or church? Was it uh, a teacher there or, or something like, or was it a specific thing that really like piqued your interest or did you just always want to be an astronaut and realize you weren't good at math? Exactly. <laughs> I knew that I could not do the Mars mission. <laughs> I mean, who would want to do the Mars mission? Um, you know what? My life, if I look back and I have to be serious about it, is a series of stepping stones where neither one of the stones know that they are part of the, the ladder or the steps. Because I did not watch a movie that inspired me and said, oh, I want to be that. We were allowed or we did kind of watch religious things. So we saw the Ten Commandments, some um, pop culture like, you know, the show Dallas or Knott's Landing. I would watch SNL and laugh at things and not know what I was laughing at. On the down low. On the down low. Yeah. Yeah, while my parents were cleaning up at the auction. But uh, overall, um, I started writing these passion plays at church, not even knowing what I was doing. I mean, I would direct them as if I knew what I was doing. And I would ask somebody to come do everyone's makeup, like I knew what I was doing. And I would go and collect all these songs. So there was a beginning, a middle, and an end. And at one point, this small country church had this to hold the pageant over a second night because they had to turn people away. And then they had to hold it again the third night because they had to turn people away. I mean, there's a story about this one uh, thing I wrote that this country church could not get the people in to watch the show. If you'd like to read more about that, please uh, get Billy's book, uh, Matt Connor's uh, father's book that uh, he has now. That story is in there. Yep, that Ryan basically notated most of it. Um, but, you know, Ryan, you asked me one time in the backyard uh, years ago, or maybe yesterday, I don't even know now that <laughs> COVID has happened, but you had said to me, why do you think you went to Shenandoah? I don't know if you remember this, but my almost immediate response was to get out. Yes, I do remember. There that. was no artistic discussion about it. it was to get out. And Shenandoah did that for me. Had you I known about Shenandoah being so close to it? Oh. Like, had you seen that always and knew their theater program and knew that it was uh, a destination where you could get out? Okay, here's a story, Moat. <laughs> Give it to me. So back in the day, the hospital, the Winchester Hospital, where I was born, used to have a thing called the Winchester Follies. And they would do a big fundraiser where all the nurses and doctors and all the staff would put on a big variety show. And they would bring in a big time. And I say big time, meaning that was a person that did this all over the country. And they'd bring all of their costumes and they'd rehearse the show for several weeks. And they'd put on this big show that was kind of sloppy, fun, and silly. And I somehow got roped into that because I was always that person that they'd say, oh, Matthew, you'd be good in that. So guess where the Hospital Follies was held? 
when uh, Shenandoah, Shenandoah University. University. So when I went to Shenandoah nice. as a student, I'd already kind of performed there and kind of walked around like, uh, you don't know this, but I've already been on that stage. <laughs> I sang hair, hair, long as you can grow it, my hair. Is that a song? I was, oh. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but you I said hope... you had come in like halfway through uh, the semester, right? You didn't start in the fall. Didn't you start in like January time? Yes, I started halfway through the year. So I, yeah, I, I started in the winter January session. And, and, okay, so two things, uh, two quick questions to get us to Shenandoah. One, because your dad was an auctioneer and you were around that. I've seen that. I, and it's a very, you know, it's a performance. Do you think that that had any influence on how you took control of the church passion plays was seeing this already kind of performance in a way? It definitely made me kind of fearless in front of strangers and people because growing up, I was constantly around people that was watching us and the auctioneer, the auctioning experience on the weekends was a form of entertainment. Absolutely. My yeah. father was mm -hmm. funny. He would make fun of my mom and she would laugh and the kids were helping. We were the Trump family and um, not really, but um, you actually guys did work. We actually yeah. did work. Yeah. Yeah. But um, we would uh, be out there in the public all the time and we had to, we were poor and I don't say that word lightly. We weren't, we didn't walk to school in like no shoes and stuff like that, but we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so part of the um, smoke and mirrors was making that auction exciting. And so I think I learned how to be a little bit of a showman. And I don't know what that meant. Once again, I don't think the rock in front of me knew what the rock behind me was, but it knew that it was leading somewhere. Right. You were you just experiencing it and seeing your father do this and you just kind of parlayed that into something without even really realizing you just you just started writing these passion plays. We're able to put them together because this already the smoke and mirrors, as you described, kind of existed. But Dustin, doesn't that doesn't that kind of isn't that kind of the way life should work? Like when I when I try to force the stepping stones, it, I, I find disappointment hurt. Yeah, it, you know, you you definitely don't want to, in my opinion, just step off wherever. You do want to keep stepping forward, whether or not you know what that rock is or if there's a rock there, uh, you, you know, which is a better option than stepping backwards, of course. But, you, you know, the question is, is there, are they related or do you find the relation in the, between the two rocks, no matter how disparate they seem to one another? So, I think there, I think there's definitely a relationship there in my life. I don't know if I always recognized it until I looked back. Yeah, because so you started putting it together. Because the thread that held everything together, if I really kind of dig deep, was music. Music was in every aspect of those stones leading me to mm -hmm. the next music window, whether it was me playing the piano or me doing a show or me trying to go to school or me kind of thinking about wanting to be a minister or whatever I was trying to do. Um, it was music always. So speak on so that. What was, yeah, what was the first music stone? What was the first one? Well, I took lessons at the age of eight for eight months 
and I quit. Um, and I think my teacher, I, I, it was sort of a mutual quit. I can't quite remember. All I know is I didn't take lessons for very long. And then I just started sitting at the piano and sort of teaching myself and not knowing really what I was learning or how I was doing it. I remember having an old piece of sheet music that was from maybe Mozart's Gloria. And I remember sitting, I, I would sneak into bed at night and I would go and play the piano in the dark. And for the longest time, I would light candles and play in the dark when no one was around because once I disappeared, I no longer judged myself. And I felt freer because if the lights were on, I knew that I was a sham and I knew that I was a joke. But if I turned out the lights and just started making up music, it came from, it came through me and not kind of from me. That's so fucking beautiful, man. But when back in, I, but I played, um, I remember praying to God. I remember praying to God. I prayed to God and said, please let me play the piano. And I can still remember the Mozart thing I was working on. And this is a little segment. It's not going to be long, but then I can still remember learning this. remember I didn't take lessons for <clears throat> very long <clears throat> and I don't know how I learned that I don't even remember how I remembered that I can still see it in my head so now when I'm teaching my kids private lessons which I never really intended on being a piano uh, teacher I really try to adjust my situation in the room where I become the student to learn how they learn rather than being the teacher trying to tell them how to learn. And guide them, guide them through their learning. Right, because I realized along the way that the teachers that did that to me in a wrong way that made me try to learn the way they learned rather than trying to guide me how I was learning. And that's a special skill, it really is. <clears throat> Maybe. Well, because, I mean, I think about, you know, back to school and stuff, and a lot of teachers just give you the the rote information, right? You know, read chapter one and this, and there's not very much elaboration, just kind of like learn this. And it's people learn in different ways, and, and you can't just do it the one way. And, and that's why I think that there's so many different disparities with grades and things like that, which I don't have kids, so I don't know. There probably aren't grades anymore, but... <laughs> I don't know, Dustin. <laughs> uh, there, there's a series of letters, but not the traditional A, B, C, and D anymore. Yeah, it's M, E, N, E, those kind of uh, E, E. <laughs> okay. okay, so you well, said... It's, it, well, sorry, it's, it's, it's like computers. Um, I'm not very linear, and I, I, I always let the room realize that I'm the dumbest person in the room. And it's not because I think I am. It's because I really would just rather live on my emotional intellect 
to guide me because I don't I don't have a desire to learn um, let's say code. And I'm maybe I could learn code, but my desire is more of this sort of like uh, in motion thing. Like when I when I dance, when I when I hear the song Aquarius from Hair, I get moved and I want to move. It feels like my life is more uh, of a verb than a noun. And I don't think either one should compete to be more important than the other. And so I think that's why I still have continued my journey in the arts is because I have found a place where I can make my verb into a something that works for me with my kids or whether me and Steven are writing a show or whatever. It just is kind of how I, if I go to bed with a book, Dustin, if I call you in the morning, I might be able to explain some of it. Now, Ryan gave me a cool book. It's called Humans. Have you heard about this? Humans? Yes, I have. Okay. I think I am one, actually. <laughs> so what's cool about this book is like every page or two is like a story and then you're done. About that. That's it. Yeah, about, 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 that. about that about that human. And so those are my books because then I'm, I, can, I can enjoy that, read it, and, and, and embrace it. If I go on like Harry Potter journey or whatever, I just kind of start thinking about the music or mm -hmm. some, something other than the text. I can see that. I can see reading something. Um, I'm not particular this way, but I know that people are, such as yourself, where you, know, you, you come back to a book because you're not going to read a book in one sitting. It's not going to happen unless you have a lot of time on your hands and you enjoy doing that. Fine. More power to you. But if you read something and then you have to come back to it, because the older I get, it's starting to happen. I'm like, where the fuck am I in this book right now? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I'm 100 yeah. pages in and I'm like, wait a second. Oh, right, right. This person's that this person. So I get that. I, I totally understand. That. Or, or worse yet, you read further, you you catch yourself and you're at the bottom of the page and you realize you didn't understand. You didn't follow what you had actually read so you go back and reread it and then you remember what you were thinking about when you were when your eyes were gazing <laughs> over that portion of the page and then you start thinking about it again that's so so true right or for me <laughs> i can go i can finish a page and remember how i felt because i remember that it was like a sad section or an exciting section or a war that happened but i won't remember what happened anyway um yeah it, so let's go to, um, you had also mentioned uh, the seminary. Yep. Um, so you did this music thing. You Didn't you also have a band at one point? I was a part of a gospel group called Expressions. And we had a, we would pile into a van and go sing at different churches in the valley. Some were, you know, maybe hours away. Some were nearby. It could be a homecoming, a revival. We had rehearsal once a week. I played the keyboard. I did not know how to play the music. So the lead singer, Jerry Clark, who is a police officer, um, he would give me track. He would give me uh, cassettes to listen to and say, "We're going to learn this song." And I would be like, oh, great. I would take it home. At this time, I was living at my grandmother's. And I would go to the keyboard. And I would work out the chord progressions to that song without anybody knowing that I was not, that I was faking it. 
So then we get to rehearsal and we'd be like, bum 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 dum ba dum ba dum bum 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 ba dum ba dum bum 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 bum, and I would just play the chords and be singing, you know, ain't no grave, gonna hold my body down there, ain't no grave, and um, I never forget one time Jerry came to me and he said, hey Matt, I'm I'm feeling a little froggy tonight. Can we take this song down a notch? And I was like, uh, what is that? Uh, what, what does, I went to the bathroom. <laughs> what does that mean? I, yeah. right, I went to the bathroom with my little index cards that the chords were on, knowing that someday I would be interviewed by Tyra or Oprah and save the cards for then. And um, I did, I did the math. I did the math like anyone would. If it was an F, I went down to E flat. If it was a G, I went down to F. And I did the math and I lowered all of the chords down, played the song that night with brand new chords and no one knew the difference. And I still didn't know what I was doing. So when I went to Shenandoah and they said you had a minor in piano, I took the piano test. And after the test, they all just kind of like wondered like, huh, well, he's too advanced with his fingers to be in the basic class, but he's not advanced enough with his eyes to read the music for the advanced players. What do we do? So I started in the um, basic piano class and was like, just like, kind of like giggling, like, oh, really? You want me to play a C? Um, but then I, then my second year of, of minoring the piano, I, I went to the private teacher who was, oh, that was tough. She was a European, I'm gonna do the European quote. She was like from like Romania or someplace and she was a classical pianist. And when I walked in there, I felt the fear of God. <laughs> and Okay, so and this is also because you're coming in from, okay, so you got into the music, you were uh, going to church a lot, you wrote the passion plays, uh, you're getting into uh, figuring out what you're gonna do after high school and you didn't, choose Shenandoah right away. You chose what school? Lord Fairfax Community College. And what did you study there? I don't know. <laughs> this is what people this is what people don't tell you growing up. They don't tell you what to do or how to do it. I was the first person in my family to go to school. No one could give oh, really? me advice. Yeah, I didn't have anybody give me money. I didn't have anybody tell me what to do. I didn't know there were scholarships. I didn't know you could go to an office and say I'm poor and sing a Dolly Parton song. <laughs> I think it depends on which one you sing, though. <laughs> so I, I don't remember this correctly because it's been too long and I was still living in a very anxious world of how do I... What do I do with my life? I'm not going to end up working at the Apple Blossom Mall my entire, entire life. And I think maybe I received like an $800 scholarship to Lord Fairfax, which was the community college in Middletown, which was one more exit away from Shenandoah. So my at my house was two exits. Uh, Middletown was three exits, which is where the old famous Wayside Theater was. Yes. And I got, I think it was 800 bucks. And with that, I could start taking classes at Shenandoah University. I mean, at, at Lord Fairfax. And I did not know really what I was going to school for because I di still didn't have an aha moment of like, well, what are these classes? Um, but I always had this sense that I was going to be a minister. And I was always obsessed with 
not maybe necessarily the goodness of being uh, religious, but just the power that people give and take under a religious umbrella that was like, wow. Um, so what was the aha moment for you to choose, you know, I'm going to go to Shenandoah instead. Well, and, were, and I'm sure were you, you studying, walk- were you studying music at Fairfax? No, they didn't have any music. They didn't have, they didn't have shit. It was sort of like a liberal arts college where everything was basically like, you know, just academic stuff. Oh, all right. So, so I didn't know what like I, math and science and you know, right. Your, I did not know what curriculum. I was doing. However, I really liked being in the music uh, side of things. I still was playing the piano. Still, I, I guess at this point, I joined the gospel group. I can't remember how they overlaid because I'm ancient, but <laughs> I did. I I did search and see what kind of uh, classes I would need to get into the seminary. So I realized, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to go to Bridgewater, which is near uh, JMU down south, and I'm going to go into the seminary. So I started taking my first semester classes of seminary at Lord Fairfax, thinking I was going to transfer there. So I started taking the religion 101, the psychology 101, the history of uh, world civilizations, whatever they were, it was the beginning of conversations about um, religions. And then as I was about to transfer or wanting to transfer, I forgot the money stuff to actually move to the seminary uh, school. I never did uh, because I was dating uh, a girl at the time named Melissa Legg and she was going to Shando University as a she was getting a, a, a money as a uh, getting a degree as a music educator and so um i kind of followed her footsteps in wondering if i could maybe get into shenandoah so i started to research this and finally found a place to audition i think i had to, i think i just called and said can i audition and one day around uh, November, December, I went into this little office in Armstrong with um, Dr. Albert and Mr. Herman and sang two songs and did a monologue. And all three of those things were completely wrong for my audition, but I did them anyway. Because at this time, I don't think I'd ever seen a professional production of anything. So I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that something was leading me beyond what I was or what I had. Yeah, you know what I love about this is that you you sought to discover things on your own. Uh, it, just going out and just absorbing music as naturally as you can without formally studying it. Now, when you go to Shenandoah and you begin studying music the, music theory, were pieces fitting together for you in your mind? Like, were you, were you, did you learn something in class that you're like, oh, I've been doing that for years. That's the name of that. Or that's why the math worked. Totally. I felt like I was in the kitchen with my grandma making dinner and someone walking in saying, you know, that's a cup, right? (laughs) And not really like, oh, that's a cup of milk. Yeah. We didn't know that. We just kind of mix it all together. And when I found out what a seventh was, a uh, major seventh or uh, any sort of theory, I, my theory, I started to tutor in theory at college because my theory was impeccable. I was like A plus off the charts with every one of those tests. 
only because I think I was learning it backwards. I already knew everything. I just didn't know what to call it. Right. And so it was filling in a piece. It was shining a light on an area that you are already comfortable with. You just totally, had... totally. And my, my first semester at SU was probably the biggest aha moment of my life. Why is that? Well, that's when I really started to truly embrace who I was as a sexual person. Yeah. I found myself that way. I also realized that the arts was really where I belong. No more, no more searching. I can add on to this, but this is really truly who I am. And I really felt like I found my pack for the first time in my life. Now, keep in mind, because my journey was a little bit later, at this point, I didn't start SU until I was 23. So I didn't graduate uh. SU till I was 27. So the journey was, you know, kind of long. Yeah, you yeah. had like so life you had, experience. Yeah, sure. you had the life experience going for you, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Did you stay on campus or did you, because you lived so close by, did you, were you still with your grandmother? Both. I was off campus for uh, all three years. Uh, and then I think I moved on campus for my senior year. And then, of course, I was on campus every time we were doing a uh, summer music internship program. Yes. What was your first one? Summer music. I think my first year I did Fiddler with Mr. Herman. Oh, really? And That's I played the Fiddler. One. Yeah, yes. I was I was the fiddler. I don't quite remember the four shows that year, but I believe I was just kind of, you know, in the ensemble of all of them. I don't remember exactly what I what the shows were. Um, I, 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 I yeah. don't think any of us do, uh, to be honest no. with you. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, well, that was the year. But was that your freshman year would have been what year now? Ninety two. Ninety two. Because then I graduated with the class of 97 that started in 93. Yeah, you had you graduated in in the middle, though, right? You graduated in January or did you go? Did you graduate with everybody? Yeah, I stayed an extra semester, which is why I had the wonderful ability to take Lindy Herman's improv class twice. And I got to explore extra uh, classes. Like I took an, an extra class in costume building. I, it's probably the wrong word, but taking a class on not, not costume design or, or not costume history, but I did one in costume design. Gotcha. gotcha. In, in, in the new I, theater, in the new, in the new theater, right? Uh, this was still the old theater. Which I'm sure you just walked on to stage when you came to Shenandoah. You're like, I've been here before. <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, has anyone seen the Follies? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, let's talk about your time at Shenandoah. And, you know, as you hear throughout the podcast, there, uh, there are obviously many shows that are covered, all the interviews that you've been doing uh, with all of us. And uh, so I know we, we're very strong on your feelings of, the Mikado or Pippin. But what are some of the shows that are really endeared to your heart? Well, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was working with Edry Means on my only and first opera called The Medium, where I played a deaf mute. 
and I, I worked had, backstage for that. Did you? I, I did. That. And I had to, and I had to perform the entire thing uh, without words. And I found that like my first, I worked with a company here in DC called Synetic. And it was the first, if, if I was thought I was going to be in Synetic, this was the precursor. And I, I really loved being in it. And I loved the music. I loved the cast. I got a signed book by the composer, uh, Minotti. Well, I think it's Italian. Was there someone oh, wow. who you saw, like, you know, formative years in college, you know, when you're 23? I mean, I just can't imagine that I was 18 and you're, you're 23 and you're starting your first year in college. Was there someone you saw performance-wise that you were like, oh, my God, like, this is exactly, you know, the epitome of what I, I want to do? Something stick out to you? Not one person comes to mind. I think all of us kind of had that experience of seeing the upperclassmen perform in one person shows and things and kind of feeling humbled, like, oh, my gosh, I want to be that person. And it was right around the time where the female belt started to become kind of a, a new machine. And so every time there was someone singing chess or a new belty song, you were like, oh, my God, what is happening? And, you know, all the voices are like, they're going to ruin their voice. Yes. That's what <laughs> we shouldn't sing like that. Um, but I don't think I really looked at anyone and was kind of blown away. I was just kind of mesmerized in general. Um, yeah, because because I had finally found where I kind of belonged, and I was old enough to kind of start absorbing it without thinking. I mean, I didn't I didn't stay on campus and party. I went home. Um. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You. Yeah. Because you, as you said, you had spent half the time on, half the time off. So your social experience over at Shenandoah wasn't as you know, campus filled or as a dorm shenanigans filled yeah. as many of us had. Did you, that, do you think that, do you think that affected your experience at college? Like, do you wish you had had more of a, uh, had started at 18 and had been in it at, uh, at an earlier age or do you really cherish starting when you did and going through the times that you did? You know, I don't think I could change any of it because I think it would have changed the whole the whole journey. I think I was old enough to know when to engage and when to disengage. And I think that that caused a lot of problems for me because there was a lot of people that didn't like who I was. And there's a lot of dark memories of people who somehow didn't like me for some random reason. There was a lot of uh, as any school, you know, there's a lot of sort of random pettiness that can happen. And uh, I won't go into names or whatever. It's all water under the bridge or maybe just some blood under the bridge. But, you know, I was dragged, you know, I was dragged into a room that said, you know, I was told you're, uh, that I was never going to make it in the business. And, you know, there are lots of things that I, I can't really have an interview with without really being honest about. I mean, um, mm. I don't, I don't, I think people looked at me because I was older and that I was a little bit more, I don't, not aloof, but a little bit disengaged that it felt more kind of like, well, who does, who does she think she is? One second as Eddie barks his head off. Hey, hey. Um, 
but I feel like, you know, there was a lot of like, who does she think she is? Because I think people assumed that I was gay and therefore I should become some sort of super gay person and join the gay club and be whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I look back uh, with some wonderful, wonderful memories and some wonderful, wonderful lessons. Um, And even though we've all moved on and, you know, we see our Facebook feed of, you know, what people are doing in their lives or whatever. Um, I, I do try to remember that how I treat others and, and it does matter in a historical memory bank somewhere. Right. Would you say, because I know that Lindy was such a huge influence on your creative growth, um, was there like a, a thing specifically said to you or was it just the absolute, just the experience? Like, did Lindy say something to you that really made you like, you know, see things in a different way or was it just the experience of the class itself? No, I think it was just the class and her, she was like a magical little elf, but you know, not always, um, not always uh, supportive in saying that you're beautiful, but always there to tell you when you needed more work, you know, she was, very honest, and I loved Howe's class, but Howe's class to me was more of a, an, ap- an academic scoring sort of stand here, say your line and whatever, and Lindy's was very fluid and very, it came from you, it was very uh, curious of, of how to be, become, and uh, I loved the freedom in that experience, and after after I finished taking her class and I signed up a second time, I remember someone saying to me, you know, Matt, you don't have to, you don't have to like take this class again. And I said, I don't know why I said this, but I said, no, I think I missed something. And I meant that, like, how could you, how can you absorb that in a semester? And to this day, I think she, she made my creativity go beyond the four years that I was about to have I'll say that again. She made my creativity go beyond the three years I was about ready to ha- have with Hal, even though Hal never saw that creativity. My yeah, creativity. They, were, they were a really good dynamic in those regards, as you just mentioned there, as having a very technical, uh, procedural approach. And then the Lindy's you know, more open, free-flowing discovery approach. I, I think that really worked at that time and had, you know, had exactly like you said, had you, I've been able to go in and take that class over and over and over again. Think of how much further you could have gone to, to be open, to be uh, forward, especially since you've already started at a place of being so open to discovery in art and uh, finding things out for yourself. Uh, did you feel like you got what you wanted to out of the second time taking that class or would you take it four or five more times? Yeah, I don't think it ever ends. Yeah, I think it's like the I think it's like the sixty year old ballerina that still goes to class because dot dot dot. And I also feel like the lessons I learned in um, improv and creativity with Lindy Herman were lessons for life that helped to creatively build up the person I am and still the person I'm meant to be even yet. Because it is with that creative, and you know this too, when you're creating anything, whether it's digital content or uh, physical content or whatever content you're creating, it all starts with your ideas. 
And then it manifests into your world however you want it to. And I think that those tools are more important because they are the ballet bar. That's the beginning. Yeah, that brings me uh, something I did want to I really wanted to ask you for this interview. But how do you how do you exercise your brain? How do you grow when do you have periods of sitting down saying this is time for me to learn something, whether it's through self-discovery or, or going through some tutorial or, you know, watching some video. Uh, but what do you do? What do you do to exercise your brain and to grow mats? Well, I. A lot of my friends probably don't know this about me because it's something I keep inside of me without explaining, but I keep myself super curious. When I find that I have found a spot where I find myself to be a little bit sort of stuck or um, my brain is a little bit like fried from some sort of project, I go back to the basic curiosity. And... um, so here's a little secret. Yesterday morning, I woke up and I said to Stephen, just out of kind of out of nowhere, I said, um, "Hey Stevie, today, today I've asked the universe to show me a rainbow." He was like, "What? What are you talking about?" I was like, "I don't know. I'm I'm just gonna ask the universe to show me a rainbow." So last night I was like, "Well, haven't seen no rainbow yet." So about 11 o'clock, I go into bed and finish up the last 15 minutes of this movie I'm watching. And at the very end of the movie, the rainbow yeah, appeared. Rainbow. Nice. <laughs> and, and I was sitting in bed going like, yes, universe. <laughs> so I woke up this morning and uh, I'm just playing with the universe and seeing Dustin. I don't have any answers. <laughs> and so this morning I woke up and I said, I'm going to wait for a heart. Today I'm looking for a heart. Now, I did see the heart on TikTok where you like like something. I'm kind of asking the universe right now, like, is that the heart you want me to see? Because it was, <laughs> it was a TikTok heart. And it also was Matt Midget's podcast. So I don't know if that was it. So I have seen a heart today. And um, we'll see if I have another one revealed. But it sounds like it's called coming back to the symbols that you were talking about at the beginning. These these symbols that mean something. You wake up and ask the universe to to be exposed with a new symbol. Well, totally. And I really do feel like uh, there's a famous, um, I think it's maybe uh, Elaine Stritch that said that living life is living in a movie and people always want to be in a movie. And you you already kind of are if you really just look at the magic around you. Now, I will say during the pandemic, I think a lot of my magical thinking and creative stuff has kind of taken a little turn because the world's turned a little upside down still today. Mm-hmm. I don't see the same people. I have to work a little harder to find um, fun little curious things. But because I'm a teacher, I do have to come up with very curious things in my classes all the time. So that does keep me on my sort of improv toes all the time. Um, And I'm still teaching improv and theater and stuff. So, you know, I do kind of, uh, and and I go into those classes, not pre-programmed with what I'm going to teach. I take the class with them. So my, my syllabus is not like, this is what we're going to do. I walk in and I'm like, well, 
I'm going to go in the back and find myself eight props. And then we go. And you find it. Then we find it, yeah. So um, after Shenandoah, yep. you, uh, did you take the Lindy and the Hal of it all and you know mix it all together and like go forward thinking one thing and then it like you know changes you know it's like we did the stepping stones basically i still didn't i still did not know what to do because after college there was no one to tell me what to do after college because the pressure on you after college is are you going to make it in new york and be on broadway and when you get on broadway are you going to stay on broadway the rest of your life doing broadway shows so of I, course. so I did what everyone did, and shortly I see the time is ticking, and I have a very long life because I'm old. <laughs> but um, I tried to move, move to New York twice. The first move was ruined by uh, what now I would consider a mental, anxious, panic um, sort of meltdown, where I just couldn't wrap my head around being in the city. The second move that I did, I was completely robbed of every single dollar that I had. And both times I left the city and went back to Winchester. Finally, I found a dinner theater that was hiring because back then that's when auditions were still kind of in a, a paper. I found an audition uh, in the Winchester or the Washington Post that there was auditions at a dinner theater. I finally got uh, the job doing a Christmas carol at the West End Dinner Theater in Alexandria. I saved enough money driving backwards and forth until I finally moved to Washington and that set my path straight on a, an, uh, a, a dinner theater tour in the area for a little bit before I, I could- I, I do wanna take it back just a little bit because I did experience the Matt Connor after college like me after college and like coming to stay with you in Fredericksburg. And that was the, the whole dinner theater thing. Was that kind of when you started like, this is what I'm going to be doing is like getting this place in Fredericksburg and doing the Riverside and all that kind of stuff. I, I got my first gig at the West End. Oh, really? In Alexandria? In Alexandria. I moved to Washington, D.C. with a person who was working there. Then that got me a place to stay so I could finally... Um, work in the area, stayed at the West End for a, a hot second. Then that person was going to go to Riverside and do a show. I went with them to do the show, which is why I moved to Riverside. And then you came and met me at Fredericksburg. Yeah. I, I just remember that whole experience because I was just right out of college. And it was like, oh, this is it. This is what you're supposed to be doing. This is the fun stuff. You know what I mean? Because you were just, you were, you were doing the thing. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't like Broadway, as you said, you know, and it, it was just, it was a really nice experience to like see that, that life and be like, oh, okay, I could probably do this, you know? I, I want to start a theater district that's just called Broad. You know, like every, <laughs> every theme and every show was just kind of a broad thought. It's just kind of like, well, okay. Anyway. And whatever goes, whatever put... Anything yeah, goes. yeah, it's just a broad, broad area. So while working at the West End and you worked at Toby's and all that stuff, you uh, got into teaching kids at that time, didn't you? Around that time, I I taught some camps at dinner theaters, specifically when they were doing summer stuff or whatever. They'd say, "Do you want to be?" And I also was a part of the, some of the kid shows. 
Right. So that, and then did you at that moment say, you know, I, I really kind of like doing this yep. to a certain degree? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think, unfortunately, initially you're always looking at the money at that age. I mean, maybe, maybe I still am, but I, but then it was just like, <laughs> Oh yeah, this would be a great gig, but yeah. It's just like looking for another creative gig. Right. And the money really plays a huge part in it. Right. Dustin. Yeah, that's always, you know, money is a great motivator, uh, often, often is the case. And you and you've also now taken to and it sounds like since the pandemic, you've really taken to teaching Zoom wise digitally. Do you do you enjoy doing that? Is that something to just uh, make the money in or have you found something that you uh, can embrace in that type of medium of teaching? Well, I think I do know now that I will never, ever not be a teacher, no matter if I'm no matter if I'm doing the broad or the Broadway. I'm going to be a teacher now for the rest of my life. It is now instilled in me to show the future or whatever future shows up in front of me to give the ideas of magic to them. And can I give you, amend that? I, I think you're going to be a guider. A guider. Yeah, not necessarily a teacher, but a guider, because you're very good at finding the um uh, sorry, like the, the say again, Dustin. Like, you mean as in uh, just like you learned, uh, but being able to leverage the discovery and the the exploratory nature of it and pointing the students down the path that they, you know, the blind spots that they may not have looked at. Do you, uh, it sounds like that's one of your, one of your key skills in being a, a music educator. Well, it's just like reading a book. If you don't lift the book and the text off the page into creativity and create a story, uh, what good is the book? And that is everything that we do when we're cooking, when we're playing the piano, when we are even watching a movie, it, it, it becomes a part of our cerebral existence as humans. Yeah, it, it, it gets unfolded in, into your own experiences as you imagine yourself or imagine the story unfolding in front of you. Uh, I always like to say it puts a new wrinkle in your brain. Uh, especially the ones that leave indelible marks in in your own persona. And you know, I think it's fantastic that having a teacher that sees that perspective and wants the student to to have those moments. Uh, you know, it sounds like that's what you you know, that's what you carry from your early time and from what you were able to experience at Shenandoah and beyond. Well, you don't want to ever have a teacher or you don't want to have any mentor tell you the answer. You always want someone to give you the possibilities. So the answer isn't one thing. It is a variety of things that maybe lead to the same place. It's a discovery. It's a discovery. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of the problem at Shenandoah for me was I always was trying to be someone that I wasn't because I saw someone and thought I should be that. Do you ever find uh, do you ever find issues connecting with your students where it does become difficult in order to to guide them down that kind of discovery path? Can I give you a few examples? Please. 
I was teaching a kid uh, improv theater. He was probably the age of eight. He would not speak to me. Not, not took, at all? Nope, he would not speak. He just sat in a chair. And the other kids would be up and I'd be like, okay, you're all the color purple. Whoa. And he just sat and watched. So the mother, after several weeks and spending money on this class, came to me and she said, I don't know what to do with my son. Uh, do you think he should take this class? No, she said, should I just take him out of the class? And I said, look, I don't want to take your, I don't want you to spend your money here if you feel like this is a waste of time. But trust me, he is in the right place. So Really? What gave you that weeks? intuition? Because I always, I always see myself in the in in whatever student there is. Because I I know what that feels like. Maybe not in that exact 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 situation, but I know what it's like to be in a situation where I feel like I don't belong. Did they so, did they ever open up? So several weeks later, after like many sessions of my classes, one day I was like, "Oh gosh, I'm having a horrible day today, kids." I think I need an assistant. So I went and sat in the theater. I've applied for that job many times, by the way. <laughs> so I went and sat beside the student in the theater and became him, beside him. And so then I started directing the kids from the theater and be like, you are now all the color green, go. And I would, I started talking to him. I was like, what do you think that kid is? Is that, oh my gosh, is that a frog? Wait, I think that's a green rock. What do you think? And he started to kind of like uh, physically perk up. And I thought, okay, well, I'm getting somewhere. So slowly I got this kid up on his feet to actually be uh, my assistant. And he slowly broke out of his shell until one day, boom, he walked into class. And just like a movie, he said, Hello, Mr. Matt. And I was like, hello. Oh my God, it's like Angela from Sleepaway Camp. It was like Angela from Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> <laughs> my second my second story that I, I, I won't go on with stories, but my second story quickly is I, ta I've, I taught for about three years, two students from Croatia who never spoke to me ever. And I taught them both piano with me just doing the tennis match by myself and it worked. Yeah. It yes. Just you going back and forth with yourself. Well, I would talk to them and they would react, but they would never speak to me. But I broke through even without language. I had one girl in Zoom that never turned on the camera. And, <laughs> and I said, you could hear her. <laughs> yeah. And I said, that's okay, Sarah. You have to turn your camera because I can hear everything you're doing and I will ring this bell when you're wrong, girl. <laughs> Um, so I just put I myself, it. what's that? I said, I love it. I love that. So I just put myself in the position of the student, which is actually another rule for life. If you were to treat everybody you meet like it's yourself, don't you think you'd be kinder? Oh my God. Would you? Yeah. Would you? I see this all the time and you know this, like just the thought of like parking in a space, a parking space, like in the lines, that is just a thought of, hey, I'm thinking someone else is going to have to park in one of these other spaces. This like is not my parking lot. <laughs> we <laughs> all own this park. Yeah. Um, so let's go into uh, this thing that Dustin and I discussed called word association. Do you want to go ahead, Dustin? 
Yeah, let's let's talk about this. So, uh, you, you know the classic word association. I'm going to say a word, and uh, I want you to tell me what it means to you, or what kind of feelings it evokes for you, uh, or if it doesn't at all. This is this is your mic. So, uh, and, this, and this is a one-word response, or no, just a response? No, any response. You know, as long as you want, as as long as it pertains to what the word means to you, how you interpret the word. As long as you know that I might steal this technique. <laughs> <laughs> totally valid. I am a I am a gatherer and a hunter. <laughs> you want to go first, Justin? Yes. Let me start. Success. Um, success is measured for me by the happiness I guess I have tried to find in finding success without allowing myself to get absorbed in an end result. Success to me does not have a period to it or an ending to it. Um, it's sort of a consciousness of accepting and being present with your life and whether that's even uh, a life filled with maybe things that you feel are uh, a place you don't want to be, I think you're always uh, at the place you should be successfully. Wonderful. Um, I have a, a word here. Empathy. Empathy. Um, I think empathy is my strongest trait I have inside of my soul. And I also think it is the weakest thing I have. I think it's held me back from saying the things I would like to say and yet feeling and hope for others to be able to move on from their um, positions in life. But I, I feel empathy so much. I think it's been a blessing and a curse. Wow. Do you work on changing that as in feeling it more and or feeling it less? Well, let's see here, Dustin Moat. Right now in my hand is the book, The Mountain Is You. Let's see what it says. The bottom of The Mountain Is You says transforming self-sabotage into self-mastery. Hey. So is a, uh, maybe, uh, it can be a form of self-sabotage. Interesting. And I need to turn it into a form that I can use for my own self-mastery because I've allowed my empathy to allow others to be happier in the conclusion of the story than myself. And then I become happy for them. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, is that possible? Yes, it's possible. Yes. Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> All right, all right, next one. Mindfulness. Mindfulness for me is to be able to be alive in the world and viewing the world from the International Space Station, knowing that I am a part of a bigger collective and that every thought and action I do is a part of something that will be vibrated through 
the entire oneness of the world. Man, uh, excellent. That's amazing. Are y'all grading this? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. There are no grades anymore. I think we discussed that earlier. Yeah. Uh, Emmy, definitely. Yeah. So, okay, here's a word legacy. Legacy. Legacy for me, and I'm sure legacy is different for other people and everyone because we all define our humanness in our own ways based on material and spiritual levels. But legacy to me is uh, the way you leave, how you leave making people feel because people will never ever remember everything you said. They will always remember how you made them feel. And I think that's Oprah, right? It could be. I'm a, I'm a huge Oprah, but I've lost track of my Oprah isms. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's truth. I mean, it's, it should be its own proverb. Yeah. And I think that people like myself, I get caught up in knowing that my brother has a lot of uh, motorized vehicles and a lot of uh, wooden rooms and a lot of <laughs> plates and <laughs> in, in, the clo- in the closet, there's like, there's bedding and you get lost in that because you start to feel there's this fairness thing that sucks. And I don't know who made up the fairness thing, but there's something that happens in all of us that we always have to, we throw it out in the, in the lake and we have to reel it back in. Because if you see someone getting ahead or getting more, you're taught as a little kid that you should be up there doing that. You should be up there being, this is not fair. Why are you in the front line? Why am I in the back? And you slowly realize that the more stuff you have, it's like going to the gym. The bigger your muscles get, the more work you have to do to keep that. And so the more stuff you have, the more energy it takes to keep that. And that's why I think, you know, the Buddhists that live with um, next to nothing and speak very um, intentionally about their, they even monitor their words, you know, it's all very, um, Minimal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, I got mad for a second. I didn't mean to. I was <laughs> at last word comes from Dustin. Brand. Brand. Yes, brand. Brand to me, I see as a negative word. Really? Yeah, I think it's a, a superficial word used to show others a physical thing or a monetary thing that can um, that can create something that you are known for and puts you in a box. And this is something back to my my creative words or my creative creative experience. Branding someone, is a is a bad thing but we are now learning through the internet that branding or what is your brand or what do you do and how does that brand you is a great thing because now you'll be known as oh um 
Matt is, well, his branding is blah, 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 blah. So I would just like to say, and I say this all the time, I think life is about commas. And I don't have much to say about the word brand, except it feels like a period. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I want to ask one last question. Is that question. too deep? Not at all. No, no it's Deepak, fantastic. Is, could you tag Deepak in this? <laughs> Maybe Tupac. <laughs> Tupac? Um, my last, I'm going to ask one last question. It's just a fucking random question. Um, and that is, how long have you gone without showering in your life? <laughs> After you began showering, I guess that would be it. <laughs> well, I shower at least every day. I think sometimes at the beach when you're on vacation and you're kind of like using the ocean in the pool, sort of like a secondary bath and there's outside showers that maybe I didn't take a proper shower, but I've never gone long. I maybe have gone to, to bed with poopy pajamas like once. You're a clean dude, man. But I, I would, I would never go, to, I would go to sleep once without a shower, but I would never have a dirty butt. <laughs> <laughs> I would never have a dirty butt longer than two days because you know what? You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know who you're going to see. And if someone sees my branding and, and they think, girl, I always say to Stevie, you know, he looked like he's got poopy pajamas, which means you haven't gotten out of bed for a while. Anyway. Do you have a random question, Dustin, to close this out? You know, a random question. What has, have you ever been laying in bed, looking at your phone, holding your phone up, reading an article, watching a video or something, and that phone slipped out of your hand and smacked you straight in the face? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I, but I can't tell you what I was watching. <laughs> I know that this is, this is going to be for all ages. But yes, it just slipped out of my hand while watching that crap. <laughs> iPhone is made to upgrade. Every upgrade is like a new hand position, right? Yeah. Like, what's next? The helmet? Do you think that anybody's actually had to go to the hospital, like breaking their nose from dropping their phone <laughs> on their face? I'm sure crap is happening because now people are filming so much, so much crazy content. I can only imagine. Oh man, this has been absolutely wonderful. I hope your fans like appreciate this and I'm glad we got to put the spotlight on you. I hope Dustin and I were a, I mean, we're not nearly as professional. You guys do this all the time, but we do appreciate you doing it. And um, well, yeah, I just, thank you so much. Yeah, we really, I really appreciate it this time. I just hope that the world finds more food and music because it's one of the only two things that brings us together. Food, yeah. food, and, and music. music. Can we combine those two things? Yeah, it's a well, if music. If music be the food of love, play on. Oh, that's right. That's true. That's true. That note. <laughs> I wasn't listening. I think uh, I think I was asleep. It's it's fine. It's fine. But thank you again, Matt. Love you so much. Hey, Dustin. Love you. Thank you so much, Matt. Love you for doing this. I love you for allowing me to do it and for giving Ryan and I uh, just an opportunity to pick your brain. Yeah, it's been great. It's been kind of weird, though. We'll say I keep trying to like address you because you're like on the other of the 
country and I kind of act like Ryan's just like a part of the podcast. He hasn't looked at me once. But because, because we're in the same room. <laughs> yeah, Ryan's doing the producer role still and he's like, oh, don't look at the producer. Look at the look at the interview. Yeah, I was told to look at my adversary's feet. Well, I love that you brought books with you. I love that you uh, came prepared. I love that the, the Eddie was there and had a little uh, had a little appearance throughout the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Thank you. All right, Justin. Bye. 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 Well, thank you, Matthew, for opening up for Ryan and Dustin. I was not present during that interview, much as Matt was not present during mine. Are you going to listen to it? Uh, I have listened to it because I edited it. And what did you think? I edited it. No, I mean, what did you think of After the my edit, life? I, what do I think about your life? Well, gosh. Light the candle. I mean, 24 years on, what do I think of your life? Uh, I'm pretty sure I made the right selection of sharing one with you, right? Did you? Have we been together for two scores and 40 years? Yeah, we have been. It's been a long time. All right, well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um... I think at some point there's supposed to be a part three of this where, where we're both interviewed at the same time. Maybe that'll be the slam bang end of the year finale. Who knows? We'll see. Um, we're going to just interview ourselves. We could. I'm going to put together like 20 questions. Okay. You put together 20 and we're just going to be like, boom. Yeah. Uh, favorite uh, ending of a season, season finale of all time. Please ask me my favorite color. Uh, that's a great question. How do you learn lines? Uh, <laughs> um, if you wanna, I don't. If you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. If you want to see something we're doing, The Christmas Angel starts uh, beginning of December and runs like... Couple, through the end of December. Uh, I don't think even. Like yeah, the know. 18th or something. At any rate, check it out. I think there'll be a live stream. Um, and also, uh, check out that Patreon. Follow us if you're so inclined. And thank you again to all of our followers. There is the Discord board. It is back. Check it out. Um, I, I post the podcast on the Discord board first. Um, and... There are photos to share and things. I think I gotta put a whole bunch of photos of me and you in college up on the Discord. I think that's gotta be stuff I've gotta work on. Um, and please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Really helps us out a lot. Share it where you share things. Post where you post things. Um, and I guess that's all I have to say. Oh, I have one more little crass commercial announcement. Our little side project is called Longshot. It is a separate podcast you can find on Spotify or Anchor. It is uh, an original story um, set in an arcade in the 80s during a uh, zombie apocalypse. But that's just on the surface. There's much more below. So check out Longshot. Um, I will put that in the description as well. Uh, thanks so much, everybody. And we'll get back to you with more content soon. Bye. Bye.